Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Monday evening where we continue our reflections into the richness of this book, the book of Revelation, which has had us trying to uncover so many of these signs and symbols and words and verses that have left us scratching our heads so often. But if you are joining me, uh, I know that you are serious about this book, and uh, so am I. So let us continue to uh, really get to the heart of what John wants us to see, and certainly what our Lord himself wants us to see as he inspires John to write down the words that he saw. Huh? So if you have your Bibles out, go ahead and turn to uh, chapter 19. We will read verses 6 to 9 again. You heard me say at the tail end of last week in our last program last week that these verses are arguably the most important verses in all of the book of Revelation as it really gets to the heart of what this book is about, a book on the liturgy. So with that, if you want to turn to chapter 19, verses 6 to 9. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the sound of many waters and like the sound of mighty thunder peals crying, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to be clothed with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are true words of God. Okay, now, in that last program last week, we certainly highlighted what was going on with the great hallelujah and the significance of uh, the spotless bride. Uh, But I want to continue spending time with these verses, not only because we get that verse, marriage supper of the Lamb, but also in this passage, we see part of the scriptural basis for the Catholic understanding of salvation. Scripture teaches us that we are not saved by faith alone. The church's glory is revealed when she is clothed with, what did we read there in chapter 19, verse 8? Righteous deeds. Remember, my friends, James 2.17, faith without works is dead. And saying this, how is one to understand Paul's statement? By grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not because of works, lest any man should boast. That's from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 to 9, huh? Well, at the outset, it must be said that the Catholic Church teaches that grace is not earned. Huh? If you were to go to Catechism, paragraph 1996, we read, Grace is favor the free and undeserved help that God gives us to respond to his call to become children of God, adoptive sons. So consequently, no one earns the gift of salvation. No one can merit heaven. You know, in this discussion on grace, maybe we should uh, hit the pause button, huh? (laughs) And consider what we mean to say 
when we use the word grace, especially as it relates to an actual participation in the very life and love of God. I like to liken the word grace and what grace is with sap. Grace is very much like sap. How? Well, if you were to think about it practically and critically, what does sap contain? Well, we know it comes from a tree, but does it actually contain elements of the tree? Yes, it does. It contains the water of the tree, the nutrients of the tree, and even the hormones of the tree. Essentially, my dear friends, sap contains all of the life-giving properties of the tree. In this way, grace is very much like sap because grace contains all of the life-giving properties, all of the life-giving essence of God himself. We should add, just as sap hardens and becomes a protective agent, so is grace a protective agent when we live in it. (laughs) When we live in it. Now, in this idea that no one earns the gift of salvation, no one uh, can merit heaven, we should add that Christ's work is so effective, it merits our ability to merit. This was a big point for St. Thomas Aquinas, a big point for St. Thomas Aquinas, that essentially Jesus allows us to participate in his work of redemption. Remember what we've talked about as it relates to Colossians 1.24, that great passage that calls us to share in the redemptive mission of Christ, in how he turns our worthless deeds into saving acts by uniting them to his works. What does St. Paul tell us in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 to 13? Work out your salvation in fear and trembling, for God is at work in you. Did you hear that? Work out your salvation in fear and trembling, for God is at work in you. We must recall something here. What does it mean to say that we have faith? What is the biblical vision of faith? Well, if you were to go back into the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for faith is emunah. Uh, Emunah, it literally translates as just not faithfulness, but responsive listening, firm response. So when we talk about faith, In the light of divine revelation, in the light of sacred scripture, we are not talking about just some ascent of belief into some impersonal magnetic force, but a belief in the one true God who is love. And because we believe in the God who is love, whose essence is love, it invites us to respond to that love with what? Love. So we respond firmly as sacred scripture calls us to, in faithfulness. This is why, my friends, that St. Paul bookends his letter to the Romans with the obedience of faith. If you were to go to Romans chapter 1, verse 5, at the beginning of the epistle, and then Romans chapter 16, verse 26, at the conclusion of the epistle, you read the obedience of faith. What is he talking about there? My friends, he is simply translating the Old Testament of faith, which is more faithfulness the obedience that is faith, or the obedience that springs from faith. Why? Because again, if we have faith in the one true God, then we will firmly respond. We will enter into that dialogue with God with responsive listening. Huh? Incidentally, the Latin word for obedience, ob adire, means what? To listen. To listen. So when you talk about this whole idea of we are saved by faith alone, 
Yes, to the extent that faith points to works, points to love, points to response of listening, points to all that which brings glory to God in all that we do. Amen to that. Now, all that being said, this does not mean that Catholics have a lower view of Christ's work. Not at all. Far from diminishing Christ's role, Catholics have an appreciation for the power of his love. When Christ crowns our good deeds and makes them meritorious, his work is not lessened but glorified since our works are only possible because of his. Again, this is St. Thomas Aquinas. As Michael Barber states here in Coming Soon, in reality then, when Christ crowns our work, he is simply glorifying his own work. Amen to that. Now this brings us to the image of the church as the bride of Christ, that Christ truly does reproduce his life in the church, so that the church is the mystical body of Christ. Yet the church is not simply his body, forming some kind of torso connected to him as head, though a service reading of some of Paul's letters may lead to that conclusion. A deeper examination reveals a much more profound mystery. If you were to go to Ephesians 5, what do we read? And here I'm thinking of Ephesians chapter 5, verses 28 to 33. So if you wanted to flip your Bibles to chapter 5, Ephesians 5, verses 28 to 33, Paul here gives some insight into that mystery. He writes, Even so husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no man ever hates his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, the man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one. This is a great mystery, and I mean in reference to Christ and his church. Here, Paul is citing Genesis 2.24, and they shall become one flesh. And what does this apply to but Christ and the church? For those of you who are with me in our treatment of theology of the body, we probably spent a year and a half going into theology of the body. You can go into my archives on my website at joholcraft.org. You can listen to all those programs. We very much (laughs) examined this passage and this truth that this Verse, and they shall become one flesh, applies to Christ and the church. So when Paul speaks of the church being Christ's body, he speaks in marital terminology. My dear friends, the intimate communion in marriage, which occurs when the two become one flesh, is a picture of Christ and the church. Christ unites himself to the church so that his life is reproduced in her. Therefore, the church becomes, what does Paul call it? Holy Mother Church. Furthermore, just as husband and wife are united in intimate communion of one flesh, so too the church is wedded to Christ at the marriage supper of the Lamb, which of course is the Eucharist where she enters into the holy communion with the flesh of our Lord. I know this is some rich theology here, 
But sometimes, again, you've heard me say it before, we need to roll up our sleeves and just appreciate the depth of not only what John is trying to communicate to us in, in the book of Revelation, but also St. Paul, who is the first great church father, we can say. All right, the image in chapter 19 of a supper celebrated after a time of persecution also recalls the Toda offering of the Old Testament. For those of you who've been with me, you've also heard me talk about this before, but I think we ought to talk about it here, and certainly it's something that Michael Barber talks about in Coming Soon because of the context, the context of Revelation chapter 19, verses 6 to 9. So this toda, and the word toda simply means thank offering, right? This thank offering was comprised of three parts. It begins in a life-threatening situation where the afflicted would beseech God with a prayer for deliverance, attaching an oath by which he swore that he would offer God a sacrifice once he was saved. Once the time of tribulation passed, the person who was saved would go to the temple and offer a sacrifice to God. Along with the animal to be slaughtered, bread would be brought to the temple, which was consecrated when the animal was killed. Finally, the person would gather his family and friends for a banquet, and over a cup of wine, he would recount how the Lord had rescued him from death. During the meal, the bread would be eaten. This, my friends, is especially noteworthy since the Todah was the only time consecrated bread could be eaten by the Israelite people. I believe that to be fascinating, huh? Now, although the book of Leviticus makes provisions for the thank offering, it became a prominent part of Israelite spirituality with the rise of King David. The book of Psalms, for example, contains numerous examples of Todah offerings made by the great king. In point of fact, in the Psalms, the Todah offering even seems to displace some of the other offerings as the superior offering. And I'm thinking here, of course, of the sin offering. If you were to flip your Bible to Psalm chapter 69, Verse 30 to 31, what do you read there? I will magnify the Lord with thanksgiving. This will please the Lord more than an ox or bull with horns and hoofs. Furthermore, my friends, the Psalms often depict thanksgiving as offered before deliverance has occurred. In this, what do we see? Well, that the essence of the Todah is not found simply in the sacrifice of the animal, but also in the sacrifice of praise made by the righteous who endure suffering. Psalm 141 says what? Verse 2, Let my prayer be counted as incense before thee, and the lifting up of my hands as an evening sacrifice. In the book of Psalms, David acts as an example for Israel. As he offered up his sufferings and tribulations through sacrifice, so too must Israel. In fact, a kind of Corporate Torah may be found in the Passover, where bread and wine are offered as God's people recount his great deliverance. I still can hear Scott Hahn's words <laughs> in the classroom when he was talking about this, and here Michael Barber in Coming Soon is talking about the same thing. It should come to us, my friends, as no surprise then that Isaiah envisions a messianic banquet on Mount Zion once the new exodus is accomplished. What do we read in Isaiah chapter 25, verse 6 and 8? 
On this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of fat things, a feast of wine on the lees, of fat things full of marrow, of wine on the lees, well refined. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. Brothers and sisters, the banquet of the restored kingdom is entirely appropriate. A new Passover meal should accompany the new exodus. In all of this, we have a picture of what we find in the book of Revelation. The saints celebrate the coming of the kingdom of God and their deliverance from the persecution of the harlot city that we have talked about so much through a kind of corporate Torah. The new Exodus's Passover meal and this messianic banquet is celebrated at every Mass. You know, last week I was noting <laughs> I have not spent a whole lot of time in Scott Hahn's The Lamb's Supper. And here we can probably turn our attention back to The Lamb's Supper, a book where, once again, Scott Hahn underscores the importance of the Lamb and the marriage supper of the Lamb within the context of the liturgy that we find in the book of Revelation. Now, he goes to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 21 to 24, and I think makes some very important points to enrich, essentially, what we're, what we're after here. What do we find in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 21 to 24? Listen to these words. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to a judge who is God of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks more graciously than the blood of Abel. Mm, beautiful. As Scott Hahn discusses here, this little paragraph very much uh, neatly summarizes the entire apocalypse, the communion of saints and angels, the feast, the judgment, and the blood of Christ. But as Dr. Hahn asks, where does this leave us? Just where the apocalypse did, right? What did we read in Revelation chapter 14, verse 1? Then I looked, and lo, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. Brothers and sisters, all our scriptural roads seem to lead to the city of King David, Mount Zion. God blessed Zion abundantly in the Old Covenant. And Scott Hahn notes a few verses here, Psalm chapter 132, verses 13 to 14. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his habitation. This is my resting place. Here I will dwell. How about Psalm chapter 2, verse 6? I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill in Zion. God would establish the royal house of David, whose kingdom would last for all ages. There, God himself would dwell forever among his people. We should remember that Zion was also the place where Jesus instituted the Eucharist. We should remember that Zion was also the place where the Holy Spirit descended on Pentecost. Thus, the holy hill was even more favored in the second dispensation of God. And spoken to beautifully here by Dr. Hahn, the Last Supper of Pentecost were the two events that sealed 
the new covenant. Interestingly, the church on the site of these events survived the destruction of Jerusalem that we have talked about so much here in our discussion on the book of Revelation. But as they have survived the destruction of Jerusalem, they have done so only as a sign, huh? For the Christians of Judea, the site of the up room was the little church of God dedicated to King David and St. James, who was the first bishop of Jerusalem. It was a, what we could call a house church where believers met to break bread and to pray. Beyond that, however, Zion had become the living symbol of the new covenant. And that's how it was enshrined forever in the book of Revelation. Zion is a symbol of our earthly point of contact with heaven. As Scott Hahn puts it here in Lamb's Supper, today, even though we are thousands of miles from that little hill in Israel, we are here with Jesus in the upper room. And we are there with Jesus in heaven whenever we go to Mass. And that's what John was getting at, huh? Brothers and sisters, the climax of the apocalypse is the communion of the church and Christ. What do we read in Revelation chapter 19, verse 9? The marriage supper of the Lamb, where from that moment, man rises up from the earth to worship in heaven. As Revelation 19, verse 10 reads, Then I fell down at the angel's feet to worship him. But he said to me, You must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brethren who hold the testimony of Jesus. Remember here, my friends, that Israel's tradition always had men worshiping in imitation of angels, right? Now, as Revelation shows, both heaven and earth participate together in a single act of loving worship. This apocalypse or unveiling constantly points back to what but the cross. What do we read in Matthew chapter 27, verse 51? The curtain or the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Thus, the sanctuary of God was unveiled. His dwelling no longer reserved for the high priest alone. Our Lord's redemption unveiled the Holy of Holies, my friends, opening God's presence to everyone. Heaven and earth truly can now embrace an intimate love. An embrace, my friends, that takes place every second of every minute of every day. <clears throat> You've heard me play around with the math before. You know, we have 346,000 priests. If every priest was saying mass every day, what does that mean? Well, that four hosts are being consecrated every second of every day. Isn't that fascinating? Thousands of people are entering into a personal relationship with God in the most intimate way. And imagine if we took this intimacy, imagine if we took this communion and shared it with the world. Huh? How powerful would that be? Never forget, my friends, that what lies at the heart of the Christian and Catholic faith is the Eucharist. Why? Because it is in the Eucharist where Jesus enters into a bridal union with our very souls. A very powerful, powerful image. In Mark 14, verse 24, when Jesus says, this is the blood of the New Testament, what then is he saying? He is saying that when our Eucharistic Lord is living within us, we become a New Testament to all of those who we encounter. 
Recall that the word and or phrase New Testament in the early Christian days was not so much tied to a corpus of books, but Corpus Christi, the body of Christ, the Eucharist. Only after time did we come to understand the New Testament as the the canon of 27 books that make up the New Testament. All right, so I was talking about the Torah and what that's all about. It's important to note that the Greek word for Torah is what? Eucharistia, where we get the term Eucharist. In the celebration of the Lord's Supper, my friends, the son of David offers his own Torah, in which he offers himself as a sacrificial offering and proclaims his deliverance from death. The church, the restored kingdom of Israel, participates by offering herself through her own sufferings and afflictions as she wanders in this earthly pilgrimage while also celebrating her redemption in the new Passover. In this, she makes and fulfills her oath, in Latin, sacrament, to thank God in the banquet in the heavenly Mount Zion. Yeah, the Latin word for oath is what? Sacramentum. Remember how we've talked about oath swearing before, and the Hebrew word for oath swearing or to swear an oath is shava, which not only means to swear an oath, but to seven oneself. Consider then that the Latin word for oath is sacramentum. How many sacraments do we have? Seven. Brothers and sisters, when we enter into the seven sacraments, the sacramental life of the church, we are entering into a covenant relationship with God. Not this is yours and and this is mine, but I am yours and you are mine. It's not an exchange of things, but an exchange of persons. That is what is radically new about the New Testament, about the New Covenant. And the source and summit of this covenant life is what? The Eucharist. I am yours. You are mine. Intimate communion. Amen? (laughs) Amen. Okay. We will pick up here tomorrow with verse 10. I, I know I more or less touched upon verse 10, but we'll spend more time with that tomorrow. Again, if you have any questions, comments, observations about anything we are talking about here on Seeds of Truth, please do not hesitate to uh, reach out to me. You can contact me on my website. Go to joholcraft.org. Just hit the contact link button there, or you can send your question to me by way of uh, my more personal email, j-h-o-l-l-j-m-j at yahoo.com. Okay, let us close with a word of prayer in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.